The hamster looked tasty, <laughs> but um, it gave me twitchy eyelids. Wow. And um, then uh, I, I started to really like donkeys, and now I can't feel my face. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh that must be the dreaded platypus box. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Box. You know what it's the platypus box by all the symptoms. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, will drinking off milk lead to a deadly disease? We hope so in Death Wish. Next up, with our precious fairy golden hand, we bluff, bribe, and bid our way through the enchanted forest to get our Fist of Dragonstones. And lastly, we dodge and jump our opponents as we race to the end and back again in Squadro. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein, and here is the rest of our brave, intrepid panelists. Hi, I'm Ed Povlaitis, and here is the rest of our brave, intrepid panelists. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, a brave and intrepid panelist. Our first game up this week is Death Wish, designed by Jason Hibbert of Sketchy Games, published by Zafty Games in 2017, number of players 2 to 8, ages 15 and up, runtime 30 minutes. First impressions, Evan? First one to achieve death is the winner. Is that supposed to motivate us? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the game we're already playing? <laughs> I thought so, right? I, the game of life. Mike, how about you? I feel like I should have known what I was getting into when I drank that three-day-old fish milkshake. Ed? I probably shouldn't have licked that armpit. I haven't felt right ever since. So games like this are dependent on the quality of their humor. But before we find out if the joke lives or dies, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. Well, Celeste, Death Wish is a lighthearted party card game where the goal is to be the first player to die from fictional diseases. Players take turns to collect matching symptoms and afflictors with the aim of contracting one of the diseases displayed on the table before they're snapped up by another player. You strive to collect a set of the same color for most diseases, or one of each color for the wild diseases. Mm. Ugh, wild diseases. <laughs> <laughs> Contract the disease by showing the completed set to describe how you caught the disease, and gain skulls based on its severity. Some diseases trigger an outbreak, which have an array of random creative effects that change the dynamic of the game. The goal is to collect enough skull points to die, set by the number of players. First one to the threshold dies and wins the game. Okay, what'd you guys think of the jokes? Because this game is jokes. Um, it definitely hinges on the jokes, and I think a lot of the jokes were kind of up to us. The dark humor of it was fine, I guess, but uh, <laughs> we had to put a lot of our own energy into it to make it happen. I felt like the mechanics of the game were such that I didn't have enough time to concentrate on improve on on working the joke. There was a lot to try and organize to gather what you needed to get a disease. Um, and then there were the outbreak cards, which were sort of bonus actions based on the diseases. So uh, it was a lot to keep track of. I actually would have had more fun, I think, if they were less color dependent and I could maybe have more flexibility about which symptoms I put out because then I could customize my jokes better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. I, I yeah. could put out cheesy feet right when it's funniest, <laughs> not just when it matched the color. I don't know. To me, I thought the, the set click collection in the game was pretty easy to follow. There's, you know, it's kind of like Ticket to Ride. You try to collect uh, enough of the same color 
Uh, when you get the a set of the appropriate size, you lay it out and tell the story. Yeah, in Ticket to Ride though wasn't isn't dependent on the jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, sometimes uh, trying to squish uh, squish in a symptom doesn't quite make sense makes it funny. You're trying to make it make sense. Sometimes. Sometimes, yep. There's extra effort involved in having to do this. Uh, obviously, who you play with matters. You know, yep. I don't know that I would play this with my mom and uh, you know some other family members who would be like, "What? How do I pronounce that?" And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the some of the intent was that uh, it'd be kind of silly mashups of some words. I mean, some right. of the words were not necessarily safe for work either. <laughs> Actually, yeah. they ha- funny you should mention that they have an NS- NSFW uh, version of this game. It reminded me a lot when I looked at those cards. It reminded me a lot of Cards Against Humanity. I don't know if venereal diseases are particularly funnier than, say, organ failure diseases. Right. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> some might argue less funny. Oh man, I reached in the fridge and I thought I, I thought I saw a delicious gallon of milk, but apparently it was off milk. And when I drank it... No, what happened? I was trying to be a concerned friend. What happened? (laughs) It it must have been coming out of my pores because I attracted a bunch of fleas. But it enhanced my hearing because the fleas that infested me, I could start to hear them scream. Wow. It was awful. And and that all led to the flangellular fever. (laughs) (laughs) So you you could approach this game sort of two ways. You can just go along with the ride and have fun with the funny and not really care about winning. But if you care about winning, and I think this gets back to your point, Celeste... Is you do have to you do have to concentrate on what's going on. You do have to come up with a with with a strategy and concentrate on that more than than trying to make the funny. Um, and with that said, although there is a component to the game in which you can try to thwart your opponent's uh, progress in their strategy by overlaying a new disease card on top of another and sort of block them from getting that first disease that they were aiming for. Uh, it, it only works to, I think, a certain extent because changing your strategy midstream, I, at least I didn't find to be that hard. There's enough different sort of cards in your hand of symptoms and stuff that you can easily kind of go a different direction and grab a different disease without much trouble. Yeah, there's four, there's four different categories of disease. Um, there's the, the weaker ones, which are abundant in the deck. Those are the white ones. And then they're all the way up to the red ones, which are more rare in the deck um so you're kind of just shooting for one of the more rare ones to get your points faster Mm -hmm. so it just seems like you're looking for the big score each time but the rare one's a little harder to collect a little bit i see it as like an opportunity thing if you happen to have the card to make a small set might as well get the points while you have them sure yeah but when you think about it though like it's not quadruply more difficult to get the 4.1 as it is the 1.1 i agree with that Another issue I had with the game was the art was very basic, which is fine, but it wasn't distinct enough between yeah. the categories. So, for example, the afflictors looked too much like the symptoms, and I was constantly confusing them, even just in my hand and in front of me. I wish they were separated a little bit more. Also, cards that were permanent didn't weren't labeled that way necessarily, so that made it a little bit harder to remember. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't feel really intuitive. Although the words on it made enough sense for you to understand that I did a thing, and then these symptoms happened, and then I got this disease. That made sense. But like you said, the art didn't really reflect that kind of progress, so it kind of made it a little confusing. All right, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Death Wish. Evan, how about you? It's a quick and easy game, which I like, 
but the theme and humor did not grab me. I'm sorry. Gross out games rarely do tickle my funny bones, so I have to bury it. Mike, how about you? I'm kind of with Evan on this one. Gross out games really aren't my thing. It wasn't quite intuitive enough for me to like grasp it and run with it right away. I don't know. I think I have to bury this one. Ed, how about you? I think it's a simple set collection game that's easy to follow with enough humor for casual gamers. So I'll dig it up for that niche. I'm with Mike and Evan. Uh, gross out games do make me a little queasy, but I have to agree with Ed too that if it is your bag, it is probably a good choice. But for me personally, I'm going to have to bury it. Ed, where can you find it? The MSRP is 25 bucks, and it is generally available online and at your local store. I also saw it at Barnes & Noble. If you have thoughts about Death Wish, please let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Fist of Dragonstones, the Tavern Edition, designed by Bruno Faiduti and Michael Schacht. Published by Stronghold Games in 2018, number of players 3 to 6, ages 8 and up, runtime 45 to 60 minutes. Okay, first impressions, Mike. I was kind of in a panic when I discovered this was one of those Grim Losers type auction games. Ed, how about you? Okay, he had the wish, so he probably thinks we'll all pass on this auction. So he'll actually bid just one gold, so I'll bid two. (laughs) (laughs) Evan, how about you? I assure you, there is no other sensation in the world more painful than having to pass a dragon stone. (laughs) Ouch. Wait, you get gold and you get to tuck it behind a little screen and hide it from everybody else until the bid? Looks like fun. But first, let's find out how it's played. Evan? Fist of Dragonstones Tavern Edition is a closed fist bidding game. Players try to outwit their opponents by bidding with different types of gold or silver coins to buy control of an ever-changing cast of enchanted character cards. The powers from those characters help collect valuable dragonstones, lend their magical powers, help foil other players, and convert dragonstones into victory. This is the new Tavern Edition that has been upgraded greatly from the original to improve gameplay, including the introduction of The King's Favor, which speeds up play. The game includes more than 70 special character cards compared to 25 in the original, but we are not comparing it to the original. We are going to judge this game on its own merits. (laughs) Let's do just that. (laughs) So when we first saw this game, we were looking at that art and we weren't too impressed because it's pretty generic. But as I I don't know, as the game went on, it kind of grew on me and I, (laughs) I really did feel like it served well the cards that got flipped. So the art on the cards that were flipped made me want to bid for them. I agree. I thought the arts on the card were typical fantasy. They look good and they keep you in the theme. Yeah. Straight up classic fantasy. I thought the cover art was well done, which is also repeated on our lovely player screens. And it's shiny too. So shiny. And the art was my least favorite part of the game. So that, and it wasn't that bad, but that tells you, I think, how good the game actually was. Right. Exactly. And you know, Another thing is that, yes, it's all based on coins, right? So you get fairy gold, which are your coins, and you put them behind your screen, and then you take out just the amount you're going to bid, put it in your closed fist so no one can see it, and put it out. Now, normally I would say, you know, coins should be metal, but in this game, the fact that they were wooden 
worked because they didn't clink, which didn't give away whether you were picking up one or two. Yes, you could probably use clinking to sort of fake people out too. I tried. Yep. Yep. I did that too. And they were Uh nice and small. You could hold one or five and it wouldn't markedly change how your hand looked, which is great. But they weren't too tiny, so they were hard to pick up. I think they were just the right size. And the concept of fairy coins versus true coins, ooh, loved it. They come back to you after each round of bidding, whereas you can also use a couple of true coins that you have in your hand, which are one and done. So it, it increases this complex, this, the complexity of bidding because you don't know if your opponent is going to be putting any of those real coins in there as opposed to the fairy coins. And, and your brain just starts going uh, onto a different level to try to figure out if now's the time that they're going to start burning those valuable true coins. Really, really elegant. I loved it. Yeah. I, no, I think I saw smoke coming from Evan's ears while he was <laughs> calculating his bids. <laughs> well, that's because he had this habit of no matter what, I'm going to change my bid. <laughs> yes, I I did. I put I, I put something in my hand or not, put it out there, and then like waited for the second to last person to put their fist up. Then I'm changing my bid. I brought my hand I back know. behind my screen, and, <laughs> and sometimes I changed it, sometimes I did. It was so oh, it was fun. It was a great tactic, Evan, because it made everybody second guess their own bids. Take four, four, four common silver, silver coins. Yes. Common. That, so you'll win a tiebreaker automatically. With that. Yeah, you're you're all over the tiebreaker. Yeah, except that I just spent three gold to get it. Uh, gold to get four recyclable gold. There we go. There we go. Come back. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder like if there's any kind of study like psychologically about whether that's an advantage or not to do that, <laughs> or even mathematically. Well, what it is, is it's a delight. Whether it's a, yes. to your advantage or not, it is delightfully fun to put everybody off kilter. The fairy gold is great, but you have 11 rounds to bid. I mean, 11 turns to bid in each round and only nine coins. <laughs> so you have to leave some of those bids to the wayside. I used that to my advantage. And I think I, I often just threw one gold in almost any bid I can. Somehow, somehow, Ed always managed to have a balanced amount of coins going to, <laughs> yeah. into every single bid. Yeah, but um, I, I actually often found it really important to save a good amount of coins for the last bid, no matter what it was, because the king's token is really powerful. And you get it if you win the last bid. Yep, yeah. if you win the last bid, you get the king's token, and, and it does a couple of things. One, it gives you a silver, which is something that you used to break ties with. Very um, important. It's really important sometimes because there's a lot of ties in a game where the bidding is so tight. Oh, um, yeah. But it also lets you look at three of the potential special cards that are going to be in the next round. You'll, oh. draw, you'll draw four and pick three of them to insert, and then you know what to save up for or what is going – a little bit of what's going to happen. There's eight standard uh, cards that are done every round with three different ones depending from the, uh, the custom deck. And knowing what those cards are is very important sometimes. I never got the king's favor because once one of the strategies I used, I never bid on the last card, figuring there's always going to be a, a contested commodity. So I used my little bit of gold early and then didn't bet anything for the last one. Ooh, that's, wait a minute. I'm going to write that down. Ed does not bid on the last card. <laughs> Good to know for next time. <laughs> right. We need every edge we can get. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You have a limited resource, so you have to pick your battle. So I chose not to pick the battle for the last card. Yeah, it, yeah, it's part of how well this game is designed. It's the right amount of uh, bids in, in, a, in a round and just enough coins in which you cannot participate in, in, ever, in grabbing every card. So it's so well balanced. 
<laughs> Come on. I don't know what to do. Get all your coins, Evan. That's the only game. way. It's <laughs> the only way. It's the only way. Spin them all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Crap. So much decision making without fatigue because it's the same decision over and over again, but they come hard and fast. It's great. Yeah, a lot of your decisions are about the psychology of what's going to happen in the turn. You know, you'll see what Dragonstones people have and you go, okay, Evan won't get much benefit from grabbing this card. So maybe he's going to wait and save up for something else. So I can kind of lowball this one. And the coins you use sit in front of your screens. So you can also calculate what they've already used. That's right. Yep. But there's an X factor and those are the gray ones. And if you don't keep track of what, how many grays and very rarely do we, then they could bust out grays for tiebreakers. And one of my favorite ones to get, and I spent a lot of coins on this, was the witch. Because a couple people had the opportunity to get two points. And this is a three point game. So there's one card that can get you two points. And people were saving up to get that one. So I was like, okay, two people are eligible for it. They're probably going to fight over it. And I can kill a lot of their money for this round just by hitting them with the witch when they're both fighting over that. And that happened to me. Yep. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> yeah, Evan <laughs> fell for it, but I did never fell for that witch business. So for, so for those who are following along at home, what the witch does is uh, it's like you get a, the very first auction each round. The winner of that gets a black coin. And if they play the black coin in any auction it nullifies the power of that character basically kills that card that one card yeah and this is an all pay auction or what we call a grim losers auction which means everybody who bid coins in pays them regardless of whether they win lose or draw in the auction yeah, all bids are lost yep uh the last game we played like this i hated i really did not like at all so i was surprised to uh to really enjoy this one. Oh yeah this type of bidding and uh, auctioning can really go off the rails and, and put the leader into a position where they continue to have the lead because they're winning an auction and they're getting the power from winning that auction. But in this game, it didn't have that brutal of a consequence as some of these types of games do. Right. A grim loser's bidding game is really hard at times, but I think the mechanics of how the fairy gold works is really with the, the magic that makes this game work so well. Mm -hmm. I see what you did there, Ed. <laughs> magic fairy gold yeah way to tie it all together there so you guys got this game at pax who did you talk to we spoke with steve bonacore from stronghold games and he was uh telling us about the new lovely edition of the fish of dragonstone and i have to agree it's pretty nice to look at i like the box it's bigger it's bigger than i think it needs to be but it's really nice yeah looking. It, the box is a little bigger than it needs to be i think but it does make the art stand out yeah and stronghold has a lot of of games that are like in the forefront right now that people would recognize and that they're after. This one's a little bit more back burner. And so I'm glad he gave us this one to pull up because it's worth checking out. Oh, yeah. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Fist of Dragonstones. Ed, how about you? It's an exceptional bidding game with lots of action, second guessing, and decisions every turn. So dig it up. Evan, how about you? This was one of my favorite games I played this year, period. Dig it way up. And Mike, how about you? I had a really good time with this one. Um, as far as auction games go, this one had a lot of cool options and a lot of interesting monkey wrenches thrown into the works. I would definitely play this again. So dig it up. Yeah, I had the simultaneous pleasure of feeling like I was on a real treasure hunt through an enchanted forest while being fully engaged at a bidding war with everybody at the table. So dig it up. Evan, where can you find it? 
You can find it at your local game stores and online. Uh, the MSRP for Fist of Dragon Stones, the Tavern Edition, is about 50 bucks. And if you have thoughts about Fist of Dragonstones, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our last game up this week is Squadro, designed by Adrian Jimenez Pascual, published by Gigamic in 2018, number of players 2, ages 8 and up, runtime 20 minutes. First impressions, Ed? Nice wooden board and pieces. One page of wool? That's a pretty good start. Evan? I have no idea why they titled this game Squadro, but I guess they had to call it something. Mike? An abstract strategy game made of wood? I hope it isn't just Checkers 2.0. Agreed. Does this game have enough different things going on to make it a new kind of abstract movement game? Let's find out. Evan, tell us how it's played. Each player starts with five pieces on their side of the game board, with players sitting perpendicular to one another. When you move a piece, you move a number of spaces based on the speed indicated in the row that you're leaving. Once the piece has made its way across the board, you move it back based on the speed on the other side. If you pass over an opposing piece while moving, then that opposing piece must return to its last departing base, and your moving piece advances one cell further than where the opposing piece was. The first player to return four of their pieces home facing the right direction wins. So, the classic jump strategy in checkers. So, is it significantly different? Oh, definitely. I found a lot of choices to be made in this game, and it has a whole different strategic feel to it than checkers. It has, it falls, I feel, like somewhere in between checkers and chess, because your pieces have kind of different movement speeds depending on which direction they're going in. Oh, we got a fast mover over there, fast mover. Powerful <laughs> play by Celeste. Celeste has selected a very bold strategy of moving her fast-moving piece out into the center of the board. I think we call that the fast-mover maneuver. The fast mover maneuver. That's right. I loved that. I love that the pieces moved in different speeds. So it's not overly complex like the way chess moves different speeds and directions. And that the speed is marked clearly on the path is really cool. Simple, but when you're getting into having all your pieces moving, it gets complex fast. Yeah. And it's cool that your pieces... When they're going one direction, they'll start off at a different speed than when they're going back usually. So the pieces that start off moving three come back at one and vice versa. And then the, the two-point pieces move two each direction. Um, so they they average out to the same amount of speed overall, but the way you play them and which order you move them across the board really matters. And setting up for a T-bone. Uh, that's what it does look like, Celeste. Mike seems unsure of what moves to use, and now it's uh, you know, becoming abundantly clear why. Michael seems brutally outmatched by Ed, who has actually read the rules. But Mike has an ace up his sleeve. Gumption. And mm. and, and, dance, and dance moves. Can't beat we'll... me in the squadron! Moving one space at a time is brutal, and I think that uh, a strategy at least as a beginning player, I think getting your one point piece across the board early mm-hmm. is at least one of your one point pieces early is probably a good thing. Get it out of the way. 
And using your three-point pieces as attackers is a good idea, too. Because even if they get set back, they can move back to the position they were in quickly. Well, I mean, isn't three like half the board? Yeah, or? it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, six spaces, I believe. Yep. So moving three spaces is huge. Yeah, it's big. You can cover a lot of ground. And if you go through or up to another piece, you jump over it and take it. But if there's two pieces lined up next to each other, you take both of them and send them back. So you never lose your pieces, but they get set back, which is really difficult, especially when you're moving one space at a time with some of them. Getting them sent back is brutal, but if you can't get it across, then just let it sit there and block people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Um, let's talk about the pieces, and I think that gets back to Evan's confusion about the name. I actually <laughs> looked it up online, like, why is it called Squadro? And I assumed that I would see something about squadrons. These pieces are wooden, and they're cut at an angle, at an interesting angle to sort of look like a, maybe like a ship. Yeah, they look like ship to me. They look like a folded up Y-wing. It looks like the tail piece of an airplane almost. Isn't that interesting? We each thought it was like a different type of like ship vehicle, yeah, right? Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking just a, like a sailing ship, right? Because it's, it's shaped in a triangle and Mikey was thinking like a space fleet. Uh -huh. And I thought, and I thought airplane. Yeah, so the shape is a good one to indicate that it's a moving vehicle that points in a direction. And yet it's a very simply cut piece of wood. The wood is light wood and dark wood. At first I had a little trouble picking them up because they're very thin at the top. But once I got used to it, I think they moved well. They kind of are nice enough to have this game displayed out instead of having to put it back in the box every time. Because it's just nice wood and like nicely cut. I would, I would display this game out. The board is also made out of wood. It looks great. And the box has a lot of heft to it because of all the wood in it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should have called the game Woodrow. <laughs> <laughs> they have other games that end in the O sound, too. Oh, they do. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, so it's a, a company theme. Yeah, it's something to do with that line of games that they have. They have a lot of right. other wooden games that are cool looking, too. Some with, like, wooden spheres that you stack on top of each other and stuff. So I want to check out a couple more titles by these guys. Yeah. So you met them at PAX, right? Yeah, actually, I was uh, halfway through telling them, uh, you know, hey, I have a podcast and we love to review games, even if they're old. And I was like halfway done with my pitch. And uh, he was like, take this game and try it out. He was really <laughs> excited to have us play it. So <laughs> I love a, nice. a company that has a lot of confidence in their product like that. Uh, Nate from uh, Gigamaker was a really good guy to talk to. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Squadro. Evan? It's a decent strategy game for two. It's better than checkers, although what isn't? <laughs> it's right. easy for kids to play. Uh, I'm not sure how many times I'd be able to play this in my life, but I'm going to dig it up and find out. Ed, how about you? It's a nice, simple, abstract game with quality components that's easy to learn. This is a good one to dig up. Mike? As simple as this game is to pick up, I feel like there's a lot of interesting strategy that you can learn in this game. So... Easy to learn, hard to master. I say dig that up. I'm with Evan that it beats the heck out of checkers. I don't know why people play that game. And the thing that engaged me the most was the shape of the moving vehicle and the movement style. I would definitely play this again. Dig it up. Mike, where can you find it? Well, this game is actually not available yet. It's hitting the shelves in January of 2019. So we were really lucky to get a preview of this bad boy. Coming soon then. All right. And if you have thoughts about Squadro, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. And if you get a chance, leave us a review on your favorite podcaster or even just a rating. It really helps people find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers. Happy gaming and happy holidays. Good night. Aloha. 